welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm excited to have Mara Lindbergh joining us from Bainbridge, Washington. Mara is a craniosacral therapist, and she has a specialty in pediatrics. She does intuitive healing and energy balancing, and so I had the privilege of connecting with you. My goodness, it's been many months ago now, um, or a few months ago, and so we connected just so that I could get to know what it is that you're doing, and, uh, and that felt so good to just be in your presence. So it's such an honor to have you here. Thank you for making time to talk to me today, to us. Yes, thank you for the invite. It's really a pleasure. Yeah. So you started as a massage therapist, and then you had an interesting journey into this healing work that had to do with your own child. Um, so would you like to start there and tell us a little bit about your your journey to where you are now? Sure. Um, the beginnings are in massage school graduating in like 1993 so I've been at this for a while and I quickly dove into craniosacral work because I had an intention of wanting to go back to graduate school work with children and particularly babies and I I knew that was an inroad Mm -hmm. and forward a son was born after a very long three-day labor, not particularly complicated, but just a very long labor. And I had him seeing a craniosacral therapist um, for a while. And he and a good friend of mine's daughter, who was a premature baby, were both seeing that therapist at the same time. And I just was so completely in awe and impressed with how much it helped both of them just. And they, they both gained so much out of the experience in terms of their development and growth and easing their way into the world that it just solidified for me that track of pursuing more deeply, more training and more expertise of being with these so that's a beautiful, a beautiful way to be led into something through your yeah. children. Um, will, will you take us through just what is cranial sacral therapy in case there are people who are new to this? Yeah, yeah it's, it's almost easiest for me in terms of the pediatrics to talk about it as, as simply baby body work. Mm-hmm. Cranial sacral therapy is coming out of an osteopathic medical tradition. The osteopaths were both medical doctors and they were hands-on practitioners. And then at a certain point that split into two groups, those that kept their hands on people and those that practiced general medicine. And when that split occurred, there were a few osteopaths that were willing to see and understand that other care providers could be trained for the hands-on part, Mm -hmm. even though they weren't being trained in the medical doctoring 
family practice part of things. And so it really opened things up to massage therapists and PTs and OTs and nurses and even lay people. There are some parents with very difficult um, children with disabilities and things that wanted to learn how to take care of their own kids and learn at a basic level how to do a few things of hands-on work. So we're we're really grateful that that whole profession opened up a bit. Mm-hmm. So cranial work is focused on the cranium, as it implies, but really it's the whole body, the nervous system, the fascia, and what we call the breath of life, which is the cranial pulse. Mm. Why we feel that is the cerebral spinal fluid is flowing along the spinal column. It's being born in the brain, in the ventricles of the brain, exchanging with blood. And it has a respiration. It has a filling and an emptying, a filling and an emptying. And it's about every three seconds that you'd feel the body band a little and contract a little. It's very subtle. Um, and it's distinctly there. That's the basic rhythm. There are some other pulses and rhythms that go with that. Um, there's some different layers. <clears throat> I call it the breath of life because it's the, it's looked at as the first respiration, the first ignition, if you will, and then the actual breathing would follow that, and it's the last rhythm to leave the body. Hmm. And it, it takes a stillness and a very sensitive touch um, to perceive it and to work with it. it. It doesn't do well with force, but it does do well with a little nudge. How about, how about we go over this way mm. so that things function a little better? And so you're using that subtle pulse mm-hmm. and then you're making like minute adjustments as like during specific points of that pulse or? Yeah, how it would look a a typical session, I'll just say on an adult, um, the therapist might start at any point on the body. The, The rhythm can be felt anywhere. It might be most prominent in the cranium, maybe not depending Um, so we feel and take a scan of the body head to toe, toe to head, front, back, all dimensions. How is it doing? Is it balanced front and back, side to side, top and bottom? Where is it flowing and where is it not? So you can kind of think already if that person has had many broken bones and falls and concussions, those things are going to show up in the patterning that you perceive throughout the body. Now with little babies, they don't have that much history. What's there is very current um, and most related to what they just experienced in being born. So the therapist would seek to nudge things in a more um, balanced and open perspective. The, idea um, and the practice is to hone in on the wellness that's already inherently there 
So I'm, as a practitioner, much less focused on um, all the injury, all the stories around that. I'm interested only in the sense of um, those things need to be balanced back into the wellness that's already there. Mm. That's beautiful. So, So you're talking about feeling into this subtle force um, the subtle mm-hmm. pulse. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious about how much of that is physically felt versus mm-hmm. intuition. I have a friend who's been seeing a, a cranial sacral therapist and she, that, that practitioner, mm-hmm. um, learned it through chiropractic and you, you were mentioning mm-hmm. how there are lots of pathways into this but I associate chiropractic, you know, with, with holistic health, but really more with like practical techniques than with intuition. Mm-hmm. So that sort of changed my perception if they're teaching it as part of chiropractic. Um, in, in that instance, I was like, oh, maybe it's less intuition <laughs> that I'm, you know, associating <laughs> with it. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I get asked a lot, what's the difference between Cairo and cranial sacral work? And I I don't have a really great answer, except that for me, um, the intuition is inherently woven. Mm. It's part of how I work with people. And each practitioner of any kind of profession has their different flavor and their different backgrounds that are all coming into play. Um, there are ways that I think each of us perceive some people hear, some people just have a knowing some people it's very practical through their hands. I'm one of those people that's a combination of all of those. Mm-hmm. I do have a clear ascensions through my hands. So I read a lot, uh, of the body when I'm touching somebody. So I get very guided, um, it's it's very foundational in knowledge of the anatomy and the physiology and all the techniques. Um, I, I like that grounded. Now, what have I really done? Where am I in the body? And really knowing that so that we're not too far off in the esoteric lands. Mm. Um I think it's beautiful and a lot of healing occurs there too. But for me, I love the fusion of matter and physicality. I'm inhabiting this body. Mm. Ultimately, wherever I go, uh, out there, way out there, I'm still home here. So how is, how is what I'm doing uh, affecting the functionality of this physical body, the biology, the cells? the respiration, the cranial system. And so when you're, when you're saying that, do you, are you talking about like you are, you are kind of putting yourself in the client's body, like kind of feeling how they feel? Is that what you mean? Or you're just meaning in your own body, how you're sensing? In my own body, how I'm sensing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel a lot of the person, but um, not in that not in that way of going all the way into them to feel what they're feeling. That mm. would be a big recipe for burnout. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you know, some trial and error over the years, any, 
any empath will tell you, you know, that's a, a learning curve that you're on constantly. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so I, no, please go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, um, I, I come back again and again to that, that primary respiration, that the cranial tides and, um, in treating adults that can go many, many different places with babies. It's, it's, um, it's almost always, like I said, very, very current, very present to what, what they might've just experienced. How was their journey getting here? How was that labor and delivery? Sometimes we're looking at a little bit of gestation stuff um, embryo, embryological effect. Um, but mostly it's, you know, I've come through the birth canal or I've had a cesarean or I've been induced. Every story is a little bit different and unique. And how is that baby adjusting to that? Mm. How are they doing? Hmm. Yeah. You shared with me a video, um, of mm-hmm. this work from that was a French video, which first of all I found that interesting because I have a very a very close friend who is Parisian, mm-hmm. and um, and she was the first one to really tell me about osteopathy because it's just such a thing right. there. And, um, and I was like, this sounds exactly like something I would be interested in. Why don't I know what this (laughs) is? You know? So, um, but I, and she's told me all different kinds of healing modalities that are more, I I would say more mainstream or more, uh, just common knowledge there that, um, that I didn't have exposure to coming from, you know, my background, but, um, but anyway, this video that you showed, the doctor, uh, you know, he was working with newborns and, mm-hmm. uh, or the practitioner, I think he was a doctor, wasn't he a medical doctor? I'm trying to remember now, uh, his background. I think he's a DO, but okay. yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, but it was fascinating because this baby was really upset. And so mm-hmm. he, um, put it so that it was face, uh, head down. So it was kind of like it's head he was holding the baby mm-hmm. with the head down on the bed and turning it so that it was the motion that would have happened as the child was being, as the baby was being birthed. Yes. If it had been yeah. birthed in the birth canal, I think it was a cesarean. So uh, if, mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly, but that um, having a little bit of pressure on the crown and then just making those little slow ter- but deliberate turns, and that baby just calmed right down. It was like magic. It was yes. incredible. Yes. Yeah, it is. And I, I would draw a distinction that what the practitioner is doing is not so much any kind of prescriptive making those turns for the baby, what we're doing as a practitioner is actually listening so deeply to what innately wants to move and then just following, giving, giving them the room to do that. Mm. So we do have babies that 
they'll just spontaneously start to move and unwind. Again, they're, they're very uncensored, right? They don't have any defenses around anything. They're so open. Mm -hmm. So if they perceive with the practitioner that they're safe and in good hands, they innately will start to move towards how do I get myself into a better state? Oh, that's fascinating. So they will yeah. start to make movements they start, themselves mm-hmm. and then you yes. just start to follow what they're what, yeah. what they're already trying to show you. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. There there can be almost no agenda. Mm. Agenda agenda and cranial work doesn't work well together. Mm. I mean, if there's any agenda, it's I'm present and I'm listening. Yeah. You know, but if you come in with a particular overlay or program or think you know what's needed, it doesn't go as well. Yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Such so is life, a, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 And that I love that video too because they're very close to the mother. Mm. Um, often we treat in the mother's arms or lap. Uh, Close, very close. Um, they are a unit together. There, there's no need to take them off somewhere else and mm. treat them and bring them back. It's it's part of that beautiful, yeah, that beautiful envelope that right. they're that they feel safest in as well. Oh, that's that's yeah, I love that. Now, yeah. talk about what type of issues might. Um, a, a baby, uh, what, what type of issues are you dealing with, with the, with the babies that you're working with? Yeah, I get referred from many directions, um, midwives, uh, other OTs, other chiropractors, mom to mom, dentists. And the reason that dentists are on the list is they're, they're the ones that are addressing when a baby has a tongue tie or Mm. is thought to maybe have a tongue tie and need a revision within their mouth. So uh, lactation consultants, big referrals from lactation consultants, because the babies um, that I see are typically having a bit of trouble feeding is Mm -hmm. the first thing, but they might also just be super fussy um, unable to settle. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be issues with their um, colicky or digestion, throwing up, mm-hmm. not pooping. Mm-hmm. Um, parents can just feel that, whoa, they won't turn their head one way or the other. Mm-hmm. They're, they're stuck. Okay. Or they feel, they feel really, really stiff and they just don't seem to be able to be comfortable. The mom can feel it. The mom is like, I don't know what it is, but you know, nothing's showing up at the pediatrician, but I know my baby's not happy. My baby's not able to calm. Mm -hmm. Um, So we see a lot of variation. And then on the far end of the spectrum, I work with kids that have had birth traumas of various kinds or have diagnoses right from the get-go that are difficult. Um, And those kids are a more long-term kind of treatment. They're going to have a team of people working with them. And cranial is just one of the people, one of the therapies that they're incorporating in. Okay. Yeah. I know when we talked before, you were 
giving some examples like like you went into there too where it might be feeding issues and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you also mentioned that sometimes you're getting the message that the baby still um, feels like it should be in the womb or that it, it is still like the soul is in the womb or mm. can you talk a little bit about that? That was fascinating. Yeah, that was a fascinating little one. Um, So I'm going to back up just a little bit and say that our birth practices right now, um, they're not the greatest right here Mm -hmm. in the USA. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of interventions. And one of those interventions is an induction And there's all kinds of reasons, half of which I think are more than half of which I think are not really even valid. Um, And when you think about it, what, what is getting interrupted when that particular baby, that particular soul isn't able to initiate their labor, their delivery Mm -hmm. uh, on their timing, their, their, of course, are some good reasons why any kind of intervention is necessary. And I'm not discounting that. But so this little baby that I treated was an induction. I don't believe it was a valid reason. It was just convenience. Um, And the parents really didn't want the induction. Mm -hmm. And that particular little one was a failure to thrive baby. So... Uh, how would I describe meeting that little one? He's there, but eh, he's not really here. Hmm. Um, not interested. Um, kind of floating. Hmm. Um, I didn't feel like his life force was engaged. Mm-hmm. And as I tuned in more and heard the mom talk about everything, I started to perceive that his essence was really still in the womb, Mm. that he hadn't really come out fully in that embodiment. He was hanging back and that body, if you will, really wasn't growing. It wasn't, it wasn't eating well, he was a little limp. That's a good word. Like kind of just limp. He's there, but where, where are you? Hmm. And so, um, finding a way to talk about that with a mom that I've never met, have no idea what her philosophies are or anything is, is tricky. Um, but she was open, um, to me, doing a little work with both of them. And so with both of their permission and there's, you know, unconsciously, consciously, I can connect with the baby and get that kind of permission on a nonverbal level. Mm -hmm. Um, We worked in that session to bring the baby all the way out of the womb and to really connect with its physical being Hmm. and it really that session 
we had, I think we had two more after that. But when I felt him the next time, he was completely on board again. Oh, wow. Within his, he was uh, occupying himself in the mm-hmm. outer world. I'd never felt anything like it either. It really taught me a lot. That's fascinating. So was that a combination then in that instance of motion, like we were talking about before, as well as the energetics? Or was that completely an energetic? That was almost entirely an energy session. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, there's the palpable feeling of, of how, how is this for the baby? What's happening? Mm -hmm. Um, in the physicality, but until we got that baby soul energy really bonded with that physical body, anything I did wasn't really going to go anywhere. Mm. If that makes sense. It does. It does. That's, that's incredible. Do you, do you have advice for parents of Mm. new babies for helping the souls adjust to the new body and the new environment? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I think parents naturally do so much, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just loving them up and talking with them and holding them close and welcoming them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I love the tradition of not going out of the house a whole lot in that first month and really anchoring in that, that bonding time, body to body, um, in the family that they've arrived in. So minimizing a lot of, uh, extra noise, if you will, um, and, and letting them arrive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. COVID, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you don't have a choice. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have a choice in 2020, but Yeah. (laughs) They, they're so, so completely wide open. And, you know, I'm not saying that um, uh, music in the household or uh, anything more, quote, noisy um, isn't okay by any means. But just, just really knowing that they, they are a new arrival. They're, they're a new arrival here. And, you know, their survival has to do with um, being close to mama and close mm. to family and being fed. And, um, that's all they know. Mm. That's literally all they know. And those, those first bits, it yeah. goes by so quick. It really does. <laughs> I know. Well, it makes me think about when I was pregnant, um, with mm-hmm. my two kids. So I have a 10 year old and a 13 year old now. And I remember, you know, when I think back to it, I remember being very excited about this new life, um, you know, that was growing inside me, but I also wasn't really consciously tuned in at that point in my life. I was in a Mm -hmm. very different phase than, you know, where I find Mm -hmm. myself now. I was really career and materially focused, you know, I didn't have a meditation practice and I really wasn't, I mean, spirituality has always, there's always been a spark there, but um, I was very, very much in the third dimension and like focused on what was in front of me. And so I approached birth from a really Western perspective, which, Mm -hmm. you know, like we were kind of talking about, it's a little, it's just seems a lot more clinical than like emotional social. And um, I know when we talked before, um, you, you were talking about how you, where you live, you are around a lot of people who share your worldview. So 
I'm just kind of yeah. painting this picture yeah. of me in like yeah. a mainstream pregnancy in America, sure. yeah. <laughs> in the Midwest, Absolutely. and what that yeah. might be like, you know, different from where, you know, things that you, you might come across with your clients. But um, so if you are kind of like that and you're, you're you know, not really um, nurturing the spiritual side, um, probably you're not listening to this podcast, but let's just say for the sake of <laughs> argument that you, somebody passed it along to you and you're like, oh, what are they talking about? Um, do you do you have advice for pregnant women on how to begin working with the baby energetically before birth and, you know, kind of deepening that connection? Yeah, um, I treat parents across a huge spectrum in my, in my own like parenting circle, there was a lot of like-minded people, but in my treatment practice, it's all over the map, which is beautiful mm-hmm. um, because the babies don't have any big formulation about their worldview yet. Mm-hmm. They just are who they are and um, helping them is real easy that way. Mm-hmm. Um, advice for parents around the energetic um, you know, to, to see it as the sacred gift that it is mm-hmm. and become conscious of the innate natural ability to parent your kid. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of gizmos and gadgets and breastfeeding timers and um, it's uh, there there is so much marketing so much marketing to the parents yeah it's off the charts these days right yeah but inherently this has been done and the only way it's been done for thousands of years it's all in there in the genetics um you you know what to do and it's about turning on that innate wisdom um, to do it simply and naturally. Um, some parents get uh, really pulled into the weights and the measures and the timings and the, the rights and the wrongs. And, um, you know, my advice would be to tune that out a lot and really be present with who's, who are you holding and that capacity to really ad- keep adjusting as we, as you know as a parent it's a constant reframe a constant adjustment we're growing with them they're yeah. teaching us who they are and what they need absolutely constantly and they're yeah. probably going to blow right through what we think it's going to be like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and even as a baby mm. um so you know some of my work in terms of talking with parents is just reassurance yes you know you know this person better mm. than anybody yeah I you know that. what to do you know and sometimes it's the dad oh it's so beautiful sometimes it's the dad that's like i i I figured it out. I know the best way to hold them and soothe them. And they're just, oh, yeah, oh, it's just magnificent, you know. And maybe mom's been 
full in her head with how her sister thinks it needs to be and how her neighbor says it's supposed to go. And she's a little bit of a mess just trying to sort out how to feed and be present and take care of herself a little bit. It's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So that sense of just finding a way to trust yourself, you, you you get the honor of being this person's parent and I believe they picked you because you're the perfect 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 person right and they for you also yeah you know yeah that that little teacher that we have and and you're so right it's how we grow along with them and and it's ever new as well because you know I, I can't remember how old your son is he is 20 going on 21. Okay. So Yikes. yeah. And, <laughs> and exactly, you know, and I, I mentioned the ages yeah. of my children. So for you and I, you know, we're yes. not new parents and yet, you right. know, yeah. suddenly I have a teenager. Suddenly you have a, a yeah. an adult son. Yeah. Well, we haven't done that before in this life, you know, nope, so it's never. like, yep. well, I'm new. Mm-hmm. I'm new here. You know, what's it like to have a teenage son? Well, I'm figuring that out, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's, it's and, like that grace throughout the pregnancy or th- sorry, throughout being a parent where it's like, it, it is just like, we're, we just continue to figure it out and to feel into how to help the thriving, you know, as best we can, or the, the, you know, support for whatever is needed, just continuing to let it be new. And I've, I've become super fascinated by this place of origin. Um, this really sort of fine and, mm, it's just such a potent moment coming into um, being here, planet Earth, mm. at this time and, you know, at this time and whatever place. And um, what those attachments do for the rest of your life, how those beginning pieces impact and we're robust. We can adapt. We, I mean, my gosh, we adapt to so much. So I'm, I'm not saying it's like a delicate flower that's, you know, crushingly unable to adapt to a circumstance by any means. But what happens if we bring back a really sacred way of holding that and a much more natural, less medicated approach I really think we're downstream of a very violent birth culture Mm. where we've been disrupting how that goes naturally. And it's a real disservice to parents, particularly women's trust in themselves that, that they've got this, they they're built for it. They're they'll know not through a book, not through advice from the neighbor. They'll just know. So I've, I've really been fascinated by that personally and professionally. Um, grateful that midwives are still out there and that hospitals are, are trying to be better. They're trying to be more baby friendly. I think we still have a little ways to go. And um, 
baby body work can help in that bridging, in that bonding, and certainly help them if they've had a rough start, if there's been a lot of intervention and they're stuck in a, in a really stressed um, state, uh, it can help them come back into their natural open heart. Maybe it was really loud. Maybe it was painful. Maybe it was uh, many things. And so they're in a state of shock, really. Mm. And that can take a while without a little bit of help. Um, and again, we're highly adaptable. We thrive in the most excruciating circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> but what would it be like if um, that was all a little more natural more gentle, more sacred. Mm. Um, you know, if I had my magic wand, I would remind women that this is an ecstatic experience and your body's built for it. And it's a rite of passage like no other that you get to do as a woman in a female body, this go around and um, boy, take advantage of that. So awesome. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. What, what is you, what thoughts come to mind when you think about our, our culture with regards to pain? So, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, childbirth, I think, uh, probably one of the first things that at least Western women, I, I imagine women <laughs> everywhere, it's no secret mm -hmm that it's, it, it yeah. is painful. Um, and so particularly in America, you know, when, before I had kids, I was living in England and mm -hmm. a lot of the culture there, it was, um, natural, you know, people wanted to have natural yeah. births. They want, yeah. th there was a lot of pride around like, oh, I didn't have anesthesia. And then they um, do gas and air as a mm -hmm. uh, pain management where you just inhale like a more, they just call it gas and air. I don't know exactly, but just more mm -hmm. oxygen mm -hmm. or what. But it's like, oh, I only needed gas and air, you know, and there's this like, <laughs> it's like these badges that, you know, that women are like, oh, I, I you know, was completely natural. Or I only needed gas and air. So that was kind of right before I had kids. Then we moved back to America and gas and air was not a thing. And yeah. there was really, at least in my circle, you know, in my exposure with the people who I was, you know, connected yeah. with, there really wasn't any emphasis on not having anesthesia. So um, I, I didn't really place a lot of value on that. And I remember with my second pregnancy, I had to have a C-section with my first mm -hmm. because he was breech. Um, yeah. And they could, I, we tried to turn him and it didn't work. And so I was, I was very grateful that that was an option yeah. because yeah. I know that that can be really dangerous. So um, mm -hmm. I was, mm -hmm. I was grateful to have the option or, you know, I was, I didn't really have an option. It was like, you're going to have a C-section yeah. if yeah. you want to have this baby in a hospital. <laughs> so, um, yep. but then with my second one, I did a V-back. So I had her, uh, I didn't have a, a C-section and, yeah. but I wasn't, I read a book on hypnobirthing and yeah. I was intrigued by it, but I, I, I came on to it too late to take any classes or like really get to 
to like understand it very well. So I went into that mm-hmm. birth with the approach of like being open to not having um, anesthesia, uh, an epidural. That's what I'm trying to say, an epidural. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was like, I'm just going to kind of see how long I go. And, you know, I was very blase about it. If I can do it, I can do it, but I'm not going to, you know, if I feel like I need an epidural, I'm not going to um, beat myself up about it. And so the time came sure. yeah. where I was exhausted and I was like, <laughs> I've been up all night. My water broke as I was climbing into bed that night. So I'd been awake literally, you know, like I thought I was falling asleep. Nope, I'm having a baby <laughs> instead because I had no labor pains until later. So... um I'd been up all night yeah. and I was starting to like dread the contraction. Like as soon as I would feel the wave, I was like, no, 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 I need to rest. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go backwards. You know, they were coming on stronger and stronger. I was worried I was going to like go backwards and, and draw things mm-hmm. out too long. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I think I want the epidural. And, uh, and so I did, I had an epidural and, um, mm-hmm. and, and I was okay with that, but I think it's also a reflection of just being immersed in in a in a culture where it's Absolutely. like I don't really know what I'm missing or why would I go through the pain? What's the value in the pain? Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, a couple things. Um, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it's it's birthing within a cultural context, and mm. you you sort of drew some parallels and some differences in where you were living abroad and how it's viewed there. When we, when we look at worldwide, you know, um, practices are shifting, but the Western mode um, hasn't been around for that long. The medicalization of birth hasn't been around for that long. And to be honest, you know, our infant mortality rates in the U.S. are terrible. So are maternal mortality rates. It's not great. Our oh, really? C-section rates are extremely high, like mm. really, really high. Um, and so when you dive into things, how more European countries might, might look at it, um, they are, they tend to be more supportive as a culture of a natural process mm-hmm. to begin with. Um, they're not as pain or, I would say I would almost name it more of like it's a very intense experience, mm-hmm. yeah. not just a painful one. Um, and so the aversion to anything intense um, or painful uh, here, you know, that's again, there's there's been a lot of. Um, brainwash, if you will, for reasons not to feel anything, you know, mm-hmm. um, take this for that, take another thing for another thing. Um, you know, we sort of want to get away from our physicality, our being, our ability to handle being slightly off, um, unwell, in pain, um, and I mean, we could take that another step further and say, you know, what have we done around women's natural cycles? Mm-hmm. That too is like, well, we don't want to see it. We don't want to know about it. We don't want it to interrupt anything. Yeah. Um, so we have to look at that bigger, that whole bigger context when it comes to 
labor and delivery where it's at now. It takes a really bold person to step out, but women are asking for more. They, mm. they, they obviously don't want to be stuck in one position if that's not working for their body. Laying on a bed to deliver a baby is the worst position for the mom and the baby. Mm. So as hospitals have had to adapt and recognize that's not great. That's mm-hmm. actually can be harmful. So they've had to make some adjustments. It, it, it can't just be what's easy for the obstetrician to deliver. Mm-hmm. It needs to make sense in infant and maternal health and well-being. And I personally feel like our culture depends on it. Mm-hmm. This that's why I say I, I, my theory is we're downstream of a very violent birth culture. There's a lot of disconnect. Um, so how do we, how do we start being more sane about that? Um, adapt back to something while still having the capacity to have a C-section when necessary because you needed that and it's really important and I'm so grateful to that. Surgery is wonderful when it's needed, but birth is a natural thing. It, it, it isn't a medical problem. It's not an issue until it becomes one. Those things are there for us to use when we need it. Um, and the epidural... Um, that's a tricky snowball. Uh, oftentimes, um, it can slow things down too much. It can lead to more things being needed to get that baby born. It can be a little bit of a snowball effect. Not always. The other thing about that is, um, the baby feels things more intensely. Mm. So if mama has an epidural, your own body's chemistry um, doesn't produce those soothing, pain-relieving inner medicines for both of you. It Mm. truncates that. So the baby's going to feel the contractions in the labor and delivery more intensely. Hmm. So you may have a softer version and, and perhaps that's, helpful in in the overall getting the baby born but the babies are going to experience things a little bit more intensely every once in a while I have a kiddo that's a little medication hungover Mm. and so it's taking them an extra week or so to come come to life come to really full-on engaging with the breastfeeding and um they're a little they're a little sleepy. They're a little out of it. Hmm. Um, so um, there's some really good benefits to learning some ways to ride it out a as long as possible, but uh, or just you know go in with the knowing that you got this and you can do it. It's a shamanic journey. You're never going to be the same hmm. again. Yeah. And why not, why not be fully present to that? 
I love that. And one of the things that I think anybody, whether they are going to have a baby or not, um, you know, when it comes to pain, one of the things that's becoming more apparent Mm -hmm. to me is that it's kind of like we're worried about what the pain's going to become more than the Mm -hmm. actual pain Mm -hmm. itself. So um, mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. noticing, uh, I was actually listening to a webinar by uh, a shaman in South Africa, John Lockley, who mm. has been on the podcast a couple of times. So if anybody is oh. interested in listening to him, he's fascinating, but he does monthly webinars and wow. he started talking about um, pain and it just made me I noticed when he he said something, and it was not even on topic, it was just a random thing that he said, but when he said it, I noticed that I that I had pain in my stomach. That I mm. and when when he said it, I was like, oh, my stomach hurts. And then I realized that it had been hurting and I'd been not paying attention to it because mm. I didn't want mm. to see it. And so it was really an interesting exercise where I was like, oh, now that I notice it, I can remember that I've been trying to block it out. And so (laughs) then I was like, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to go right into it and look at it instead of like not looking at it because I'm, I don't want to see it or that I'm worried it's going to like get worse, you know, and and so I went right into the center, like it just brought my consciousness right into the center of where it hurt. And by looking at it fully, it dissolved uh-huh. right, right then. It was like, it was like wow. shining a light on it. Yes. And then this shadow just dissipated. It just chased it away. And so then I continued watching the webinar and then I noticed it again, but it was in a slightly different place and it was not as strong. And I was like, oh, here it is again. So I'm going to go down, and uh, although slightly changed, so something a little bit mm-hmm, different. Mm-hmm, but yep. I went right down into it. I looked. It was like I was in the center of it. I looked at it, and it just went away again. And this happened another time. Same thing. It was like a lesser degree wow. and of discomfort, and it was in a slightly different place. And And by looking at it and acknowledging it, it was like I brought something to it that like completed Uh something Uh for it to say Uh like, okay, I see you, there you are. And then it just allowed it to release. And so I would just encourage people to be curious about their pain Mm -hmm. rather than, Uh you know, immediately either doing what I did and not even acknowledging it or, you know, hoping that by not paying attention to it, it would go away. Um, which, you know, maybe it is if you're going to, sometimes we can be too obsessed with our pain, right? Where right. it's like, oh, there right. it is again, you know, and, and, um, but if, if we notice that we're trying to deny it and it wants to be seen, you know, being curious about it and exploring, like rather than going straight for the pain reliever, you know, medicine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go just mm-hmm. exploring. And like, does, is this, is there something that I can do with my own consciousness that's going to address this. And I had a similar thing happening. I was, I think, journaling about that experience and noticed a pain in my head, <laughs> had a little headache. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm writing yeah. about this. And I noticed that I have this pain in my head. So I stopped <laughs> and I did it again and it kept working. So we are remarkable beings as far as our, our capabilities. And when we bring consciousness into what we're doing, 
we kind of just blow these doors wide open on what we what we think our limits are, you know, and so birth, you know, can be an exploration in that too, where with an epidural, you know, and again, you know, I had an epidural, so I'm not throwing stones Mm -hmm. here, but um, just another way to think about it is like, I know when I chose it, I was worried about how intense it was going to get. So it wasn't mm-hmm. even necessarily mm-hmm. based on the pain that I was feeling in the moment. I could feel mm-hmm. the pain that mm-hmm. I felt in the moment, but I was worried that I it was going to get to a point that I was going to regret that I didn't have the epidural already. And yeah. so yeah. that kind of goes into that, um, you know, that trust issue that you're talking about where it's like I just, you know, really felt like I wasn't going to be able to handle it. And it's like this, okay, actually mm-hmm. bring mm-hmm. into your consciousness that you are capable of this. You, This is a gift that you've been given as a woman. And, um, and, and you're, you know, that's in your power, like be in that power that you have um, to, to do this. You've got this, you know, like you say. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really beautiful way to describe really what this work is, which is a deep listening. Mm -hmm. It could be pain. It could be any kind of discomfort, but that when the baby gets listened to by my hands or my touch being in the right spot, everything just unfolds and flowers. Mm. Same with an adult, same within yourself. Oh, it just needed me to pay a little attention to it. And Mm. look what happened. Yeah, There's an empowerment piece of um, even with an epidural, you made a choice and there's an empowerment for you as a mother. You you went through that V back. It may might have been a little less so with the C section. I don't know, but you made some choices and you had some options and you and you came out of it feeling good about how it all went. Mm-hmm. There, you know, could can be some reflection about, oh, I was anticipating something that wasn't quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. but it's it's really beautiful to come through whatever the scenario is empowered. And I do find that there's a number of women that that gets interrupted, disrupted. Um, It's not intact after their labor and delivery experience. And I find that really sad Mm. that they feel they don't have this say something went wrong for them. So it might be every once in a while, I'll give a little piece of homework up to a mom of just please go journal all of this out, mm-hmm. you know, to bring your story all the way out, the things you wish had happened, the way it didn't quite go the way you wanted it to, the way you feel like your body let you down, the way the system let you down, any of it. Um, because more than anything, you've got the whole journey of parenting ahead of you and you need that, um, fortification in you that you've got this. Oh, yes. I love that. Right. Yeah. That's so important. Gosh. And if the birth experience already just innately kind of disrupted that, 
boy, we're in trouble, you know? Mm. I mean, yes. we, we, we gotta, we gotta be right there because the train left the station and there's no going back. It's hold on to the reins. Right. The next 20, 20 some years. Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. And this yeah. is too, you know, this I think brings into, um, the ability for healing to happen also mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. in in hindsight, mm-hmm. which is absolutely which is amazing because you can do like you know gen- generational healing as well yes. where you go back generations. Mm-hmm. But you know, as I reflect, as we're talking, and I'm reflecting on my birth experience, and it doesn't reflect mm-hmm. where I am now. You know, it doesn't reflect the wholeness of right. who, who I've right. come into. Yeah. Um, and and I feel you know like that I you know there is a sense of like oh it could it could have been different and it could what would it have been like if it had been more holistic but I also mm-hmm. am mm-hmm. Um, am optimistic about the idea or you know about the 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 truth that you can kind of go energetically into that time because there is no time and space so it's like oh okay I right, can go right. through. And bring healing and light into anything that needs to be healed through that process. Yeah. And that yeah. is, you know, a very real thing also that's um, accessible yes. to people that they can yep. explore too if they feel like they haven't had the experience the way that they, you know, wanted it yeah. to work out. Yeah, yep. And, and there's such a resiliency built in there mm. for parents and children that way. Yeah. Um, it's never, it's never too late and we, we are highly, highly adaptable. Um, mm. yeah. Yeah. And going back, sometimes it is a very quantum kind of healing where just getting your kiddo worked on your baby or even, you know, older is, is a healing for the parents. Yeah, it it help it helps them go back and um, do some mending. I have a lot of yeah, yeah. A lot of times, moms are in tears just at the. Oh, I'm so glad you know somebody's really tenderly and compassionately holding my baby right now, helping them. Right. So we might be very wordless about what that all is, but um, it helps everybody come into the present moment because babies don't hold on to that stuff. Once they let something go, they're, they're moving forward. It's right. us as we get older, we begin to hold on to things and process things and mm-hmm. um, do the work of clearing things right. throughout our life. Yeah. 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 I really believe that we're here to fully embody Mm-hmm. And so kind of back to that birth process and, and recognizing pain in your body. And um, I, we're here to get all the way down in here mm. and be enlightened and be um, high vibrational. But we're always in this body while we're here. Yeah. So, so be how, here. You know, <laughs> be here. How do we get all? the way here yes and something happens it's almost like an inverted way to reach a very enlightened place is to be ultimately 
very in the body and very accepting of all of its functions and dysfunctions and um, pains and pleasures and all of it. Mm. It's ironic that people go off on, you know, ayahuasca journeys to try to (laughs) (laughs) do these really intense things. I'm like, hmm. (laughs) Well, I know. Why Why do we need that. Right. I know because I'm, yeah. as you're saying this, I'm thinking, yeah, because a lot of spiritual practice, I think a lot of people, and I was like this for a long time too, where it's like, oh, I have to go seek it where it is. You know, I have uh-huh. to get out of this body vehicle so that uh-huh. I can experience uh-huh. divinity. But I have, am, have come to understand things to be more true the way that you're talking about it, that it's like, actually it's opening it up within you. It already exists within you. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's like using this body vehicle to express and to feel it and to be it, you know, rather than like going to the external, you know, even if that's etheric and, and, or astral or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. you can go there always knowing where you are, but there's no denial. Mm. Right. You know, there's not the the bypass of um, not, not feeling what you feel, not being mm. this biological organism that has to eat and sleep and mm-hmm. do these things to be here. Right. And fully experience. Yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness, Mara. Mm. This has been... Everything I was hoping it was going to be and more. (laughs) Super fun. (laughs) You are a beautiful light. Thank you so much. I mean, thank you for all the work you're doing for the betterment of humanity and for our culture and society. And I speak for babies everywhere for, you know, being their ambassador as well. So thank you for all the healing you're offering. Uh, it's my, it really is such a tremendous honor, um, to be of service in this way, to be allowed to be with the babies and the little ones. And it's, uh, I just, I treasure it so much. And, um, it's a wonderful thing to do for your kids, even if they had the most perfect and lovely labor and delivery and give them a little tune up and a little check in and, Mm. um, I'll help get some resources your way. So if parents are looking for that kind of thing, they can connect with me or there's, there's ways to find practitioners out there. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I was going to say, I know we'll put some things in the show notes that will be some resources. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so Mm. much. And, um, and I, I hope we can have another discussion at another time. Yeah, that sounds fun. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it, Cara. It's really fun. Yay. Thanks so much, Mara. (laughs) You betcha. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, perhaps you would like to share it. Um, Feel free to comment or rate for any Apple users. Or if you see a way to do that and you're accessing it outside of Apple, feel free. I don't know. Maybe you can do this through Spotify. Who knows? Tell me, surprise me. (laughs) Anyway, um, but yes, please share. And um, I appreciate your support. 
and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.